host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockeypedia cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, Ryan Lambert. RL, what's going on, man? I'm chilling. How about we're, you? We're both chilling. It's the, We're going to close the week out here on the PDO cast with the Friday mailbag. Uh, you and I did one a couple weeks ago, and it was really fun to do. It was very well received. I think we covered a lot of ground, and so hopefully we're going to be able to replicate that magic today. So we've got a bunch of listener questions. Uh, they're coming from the PDO cast Discord server. So if you're not in there yet, uh, pop in there. The invite link is in the show notes. Uh, come have some fun with us. The community's growing. It's awesome in there. I'm going to keep talking about it here on the show until everyone listening is in there, and then we'll, uh, we won't have to do these uh, promos anymore on the show. Ryan, let's, uh, let's start with this one. Jack asks, the OV goal chase is looking harder and harder with each game. How do you think the Capitals react to this? Um, I, I really don't know. Like, what do you do? Because this isn't the first year where the power play stinks because they're just like, you know what we should do is we should pass it to Alex Ovechkin, you know? Um, but it doesn't seem like they have any better answers than that either. Like you can't, there are obviously a lot of constraints here for, for the, for the team, but, but, um, excuse me. You can't, um, you can't, uh, just say, oh, let's just put him with a with a guy who's fast or whatever. He's not going to be able to keep up. You can't go out and trade for a guy who's like going to be able to play the game at his pace and keep them competitive. It's really difficult. I think um the 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 important thing to note here is that he's still shooting the puck, I think like 15th most often in the league or right around there. And he's got a career low shooting percentage by like a pretty wide margin. So that alone kind of makes it, makes you go, okay, well, you know, some of this will fix itself, but how much I, I really don't know. Yeah. That is important to know. The shot rate is there. He's 13th in the league, uh, firing about 22 and a half attempts per hour of play. Um, He's got just the five goals in 23 games. Two of them were empty netters. And I think most importantly, at the nail on the head there, like one of them came five on five of those five off of like a face off from the left circle, but he hasn't yet scored on whatever our image of Ovechkin scoring his goals is, right? Which is standing at that left circle, the puck coming around to him on the power play and him hammering it home. And the first off, the team's power play has been catastrophically bad. Like, they have six power play goals this season in 120 minutes as a team, which is less than three goals an hour. Now, unbelievable. here's two stats to give you, just give you the context of that. One, Tampa Bay themselves has 30 power play goals compared to the six Washington has. (laughs) Two, there's four teams in the league that have as many or more shorthanded goals than the Capitals have power play goals, right? So, I mean... sounds right, yeah. Yeah, if they're going to keep doing this, then obviously it's going to be an issue... On the one hand, you expect like just through regression or just randomness, eventually they're going to start scoring more there. I did think a couple of weeks ago, uh, Fluto Shinzawa had this really interesting piece on The Athletic, which was sort of looking at how, um, you know, first the the traditional slap shot became extinct, right, from the point. Right. The teams just kind of moved away, realized it was a pretty inefficient form of offense. Now what's happening is that power play shot, which Ovechkin has thrived on, of the guy having the puck at the point and then passing it to the flank for the one-timer is pretty much becoming incredibly inefficient around the league. Like you, right. for, for that one-timer to work, it has to essentially come from the other side of the ice and go cross-seam to actually make the goalie right. move laterally. Otherwise, he's just able to get there quickly enough. And with Backstrom likely not playing anymore and then Kuznetsov's decline and being scratched and him just not being the player he was before they just don't have the facilitator to actually make that play happen routinely and so I think that's an issue here so I wouldn't necessarily expect that he's just going to start scoring all those power play goals all over again like I think it is a bit of a personnel issue but yeah if he keeps shooting I think eventually he's going to just start scoring more goals I mean the the lack of goals so far from him is is shocking even with all of that in mind yeah, if he, I, I did the math yesterday, and uh, you know, it, it, it's a situation where if he starts shooting 
even at his second lowest single season uh, shooting percentage for the entire rest of the year and keeps up the shot rate, like you said, uh, he'll get to around 25 goals or something like that. Like, it's very... That's not a very ovechkin number, but that's a perfectly respectable number for, you know, 95% of players in the league or whatever, right? Like, if you said to most NHLers, you're going to get to 25 goals this year. They're like, great, I'm going to make uh, $8 million next season, and that sounds cool. Yeah. Um. So, he'll, uh, you know, I, the question is, if if he deteriorates further, even if his shooting percentage normalizes, um, you know, it, it's just it's just a really it's a really tough thing to be like, oh, and he'll definitely get like seventy more goals over the next three years. Yeah, uh, I think we just all became so accustomed to just penciling in like forty plus, right? And even even no last problem. year, yeah. and so um, maybe we need to revisit that. At the same time though, needs just sixty eight to pass Gretzky and right. is under contract for two more years after this one. So even if you sort of change that baseline, it's still like, because listen, they're paying him 9.5 million for the next two years after this one, right? Like, and he's going to be 40 at that point. I mean, yep. this is is what it is now. Like they've been a surprise to start the year, right? They rattled off after looking horrible the first week or two of the season. They rattle off this win streak. The goaltending has been amazing for them. They're 12, eight and three. They have a minus right. 15 goal differential, right? Like, I think I think you can kind of see where this is headed, but they have been more competitive yeah. than than we expected. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Certainly a few more goals from him would help, but I just think we need to maybe change what those expectations are because of, of the way they're playing and kind of what everything around him is looking like. Okay, Nick asks, are the Kings the best team in the league? Hard to make the argument against them, right? Who's better? Is that... Anytime, anytime you're saying, "Oh, well, uh, they're not." Well, who is that? They're they're an unbelievable five on five team, right? Go, goes without saying. Um, the just you know the the special teams are there. Like they, it turns out that if you go out and get like three really good centers, you're gonna win a lot of hockey games, you know. But it, at this point, like the only thing that you could say as kind of like a negative for them is like, you can't expect Cam Talbot to be 930 all year, which is true, but like they don't need him to be 930 to be uh, at least among the best teams in the league. So, yeah, I mean, they're a, they're winning by such a massive margin that they can stomach some more goals against, but also like their first or second and pretty much every defensive metric, both in, in the public yeah. and, yeah. and, uh, private models. And so, um, it's about as good of an environment as you're going to get for any goalie. They're 16, four and three league best plus 36 goal differential, second and goal scored second and goals against during this 11 game, uh, winning streak on the road, which I believe set the record to start the season. NHL record. Yep. They're outscoring teams 48 to 18 in those 11 games. Um, so yeah, I mean, no, that's yeah, pretty good. Yeah. That's, that's, that's not bad. High opinion. Um, that's yeah. pretty good. Cam Talbot's obviously been amazing. As you mentioned, 933, uh, the goal save above expectives amongst the league leaders as well, but it's the, it's the scoring depth here, right? Where not only yeah. are they well positioned to, to stomach, you know, an injury or someone being out for a while, but also like the regular 82 game regular season slumps or ups and downs for anyone really, right? Like they're getting this much offense from from Trevor Moore and Philip Deneau, uh, Quinn Byfield. Like you watch, I, I remember we spoke about him last time. He's clearly yeah, just yeah. leveling up in in an unbelievable way, where he's just putting his head down and essentially just taking the puck to the net and and scoring now yep. to go along with all the playmaking. Uh, honestly, like Dubois and Fiala have been two of their worst players in the aggregate this season in terms of like like production and, and what you'd expect from them. And I would still think that sure. eventually they're going to rip off a hot stretch themselves. So I guess the question for me with them is, you know, assuming they get Victor Arvidsson back at some point, like what do you do with this team at the trade deadline to to beef it up even more because they still have their first round pick, right? Like I imagine they're going to want to add or do something. They've got Brand Clark just chilling in the minors because they don't have room for him yep. on the blue line. Like there's, I'm very intrigued to see, I guess, what they do. Um, hopefully, there aren't any injuries that create natural openings in that regard. But I, I imagine they're they're going to be active and doing something because they have been 
in past years. And, and that's scary to think about that they could potentially even add another player to this group. Yeah, I, I think maybe the, the one place where you'd like to see them add depth is on is on the, the wings. But they don't, don't need like a ton of it. Like they, you know, they can do the thing they, they've done the last few years and go out and get a Gavrikov type guy where it's like, eh, he's maybe a little overpaid, but like he's good if you put him in the right role or whatever. And uh, don't ask him to do too much necessarily. And, you know, they're, they're just, they just prove, oh, we, we can do that with, with just about anybody, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I think that, like you say, they, they don't, they don't need a ton of help, but you know, they'll take it certainly. And if it doesn't cost too much, adding a winger who can put the puck in the net a little bit, it's not going to hurt them. Yeah. I guess it's easier said than done, but I agree. I, I think sure getting a, uh, some more finishing talent would help. Like they obviously haven't had issues mm-hmm. scoring this season, but just what we've seen in previous post seasons and what we know it'll take, like having someone who can occasionally just score a goal, even when you don't create a high danger chance is very useful. So I think that would be on top of the shopping list. But yeah, I mean, this question, the reason why I brought it up beyond just having an opportunity to, uh, to rave about the Kings is who, like, that was a great way you framed it. Like, okay, who else is it? What, who else are you going to make an argument for? Like, there's certainly teams that I think that have upside to get there, but just through these first, however long it's been, I guess, two months now, the regular season, I haven't seen a more complete package from anyone, right? We've That's seen, right. like, yeah. stretches at the start from the Golden Knights, and I think that when it matters most, they're still going to get there. And the idea of these two teams facing each other in round two out west is is going to be remarkable, right? Because they're just like, there's such good foils for each other in terms of how fast they play and how quickly they transition and how well they defend. Um, so that'll be quite a, quite a matchup, but yeah, there's them. I think like still, we can talk more about the devils later. I just think because of their offensive firepower, they're going to be able to be involved in everything. There's teams that you can mention here, but the Kings have just been almost unassailable through these first 25 games. Yeah, you know the the you like you just said the Devils. You, you can make an argument that if they didn't have the goaltending problems, they do the same thing. It's true of Edmonton, where like okay, you know everything goes right. Yeah, absolutely. The Oilers or the Devils could be the best team in the league. The Panthers, I guess, to to a slightly lesser extent as well. But you know you don't you don't have to be like well, I mean, if you finagle it this way and that way. With the Kings, you don't, you just don't have to do that. You can just say, look at them. They're unbelievable in every facet of the game, except maybe the power play, the power play's fine. And that's, again, that, that's a, that's a, a function of, you know, they don't have like the real top, top, top end offensive talent. Yeah. I mean, it just, it's, I guess they've had, I'd have to go back through their games. They, I'm sure they've had a couple Stinkers. I think they had like a home game against Philadelphia where they didn't really play very well earlier in the year. Yeah. But it's just like in my mind, it's almost tough for me to envision them having such a bad game where like nothing is working for them because they have so many different ways that they can beat you in different contributors, right? right? Which is the beauty yep. of it. Whereas sometimes if you're a top heavy team, it's like, all right, your top players either get shut down or they're not see- they're not handling the puck well that night or they're just off for whatever reason. You're gonna have a tough go of it. For them, it's like, all right, well, the first line isn't really producing or they have a tough head-to-head matchup. Okay, well, then one of their other lines is just going to score or one of their blue liners or or they'll be able to beat you one nothing because their defense is so good. Like, there's there's so many outs for them to win in pretty much any matchup. And I think they have the versatility where, like I mentioned, how they're very similar stylistically to Vegas. I feel like they can also play in any type of game you really want to play against them. Yeah. That's that's all correct. They are really, really good. The Kings are awesome. Okay. Pixies asks, who is the best Lambert in hockey? Lane, Ryan, or Brad? I mean, well, I, 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 I can only speak so. for I can I, I mean RL is thriving. So I don't I don't wanna I don't wanna speak for you. <laughs> um and I'm obviously biased here as, as your friend and colleague and someone who is speaking with you right now, but uh I don't know about the competition here. Uh it might be damning with faint praise with all due respect to Brad Lambert, who has 14 points in 18 NHL games. This is playing well as a prospect, but uh, mm-hmm. I, I think I think Ryan might have the leg up here on the competition. Well, hey, that's that's really nice of you to say, of course. Um, 
Uh, all I'll say is they're not they're not uh, they're not chanting fire Brad Lambert anywhere. You know what I mean? That would be so. If Jets people are always saying, people are always saying they should fire me, right? Mm. They're they're saying that about Lane Lambert lately. So I'm gonna go with Brad here just because I think people are people are looking and saying, you know what? Seems like this kid's got something. Yeah, I guess you could view it through the lens of whether you're inspiring love or hate. Though the fact that you're generating that type mm. of eliciting that type of reaction from people means that that you're doing something. Um, but yeah, I I think I mean. I think Elaine is third on this list. He is he's down bad. Oh, right no question about it. You yeah. see that interview after they blew the Sharks game? Like he he referred to it as like sin. Like he like he Yeah. He's getting really this, philosophical this with explaining explaining all these defeats. Right. This this is the classic situation of a coach who just like can't say, look, I don't have any answers here. I don't know what to tell you. Other than like look at our roster, I guess he could say. But uh, you know, we we've when you when you see a coach start getting philosophical like this, red light danger. We're in a lot of trouble here. Yeah, I mean they're eleven seven and seven. They've on the one hand, it's like that's actually respectable. On the other, they're they're sub five hundred in terms of actual wins and losses. They've blown just so many games late. They probably should have won. So I actually think. Yep regardless of your mileage on the talent and the personnel, like their record should be better. And, and maybe that's a mark against Lane here. Um, although at least like, you know, you, you watch against the Blue Jackets last night and, and Barzell and, and Horvat playing together, like they're playing really well. I think Barzell's been on fire lately, but yeah, maybe the Sharks just do this to you. And we should speak about them a little bit here because last time we talked, they were in the midst of that historic stretch where we had like a full 20 minute conversation about whether this was going to be the worst team in NHL history. Right. Start the year losing their first 11 games. The final two of those are 10, one and 10, two defeats. Since then they are eight, six and two. And in their last four games, they've scored six, five, five and six goals. And what I love about this most beyond just how chaotic and, and entertaining these games have been. And last night's game against Detroit was true theater um, is in beating these teams, they're almost forcing them into existential crisis where it's like, man, we just we just blew this game to the Sharks and it's almost forcing yeah. coaches and teams and fan bases to really take a long look in the mirror and kind of like self-reflect on on what's happening right now. And I just I just yep, love that. Absolutely. They're they're almost in a no-lose position here where like they should be losing games and they probably will lose a lot more games the rest of the season. But then Every time they put together one of these spirited efforts, everyone is just kind of in on the bit and having so much fun with it. Like last night's game when they came back against Detroit from that four nothing hole and then and then won in overtime. It was just, I mean, it was amazing. I just, I just love everything about this Sharks experience right now. Yeah, I, I was looking this up because I'm writing my my weekly three stars article, and you know, uh, nobody in the league had more points in the last week than Michael Granlin, who had nine and four games. I love that. But the other thing I love is you mentioned they scored 22 goals in their last four games. They only lost one of them, and it was a 6-5 loss to uh, the Rangers, the best team in hockey at the time, mm-hmm. um, at least record-wise, maybe, you know, the Kings, etc. Um, but of those uh, 22 goals, 17 were in the second, third, or overtime. They were, they were trailing in a lot of these games and they were just like, no, no, we're done doing that. We're just going to score a ton of goals late. Awesome. I love it. I mean, this is just what makes hockey so fun. So cool. It's, it's yeah, that's right. It's really good. Um, you can't take it too seriously, even though this show tries to, to figure out why things are happening. Sometimes you just have to, it's like that Pedro Pascal video where he's on the zoom call and he just throws his hands up in the air and just starts like laugh slash crying it's yeah it's like that like it's this it's is exactly this is what hockey is the you know beyond it just being like super random and and nico serm just randomly scoring a bunch of goals and stuff i i do have to say william Eklund has been really fun to watch and that is highly mm-hmm. encouraging because during that stretch of the start of the year we had a conversation of like if they like put any of these players on waivers would anyone even claim them like, is there anything here that is actually going to meaningfully matter 
years from now whenever this team is actually trying to win games. And Eklund just seeing the way he's playing, he's got like a modest uh, offensive stat line, but every time I look, he's involved in some score, sort of scoring chance. And so he's a I fun think, player, right? Yeah. Now, yeah. And so just watching him play and kind of seeing his development beyond the, the, the entertainment value of these comeback wins and everything, like at least having a player like that to sort of latch onto and, and not only give you a reason to tune in, but someone to follow throughout this season is, sure. is, is an important development for the Sharks and their fans. So I wanted to shout him out. Okay. Another question from Jack here asks, I want the Boston College intel from RL. Who is driving play on that top line? So I obviously have not watched nearly as enough college hockey as you have, but I, I'm, <laughs> right. I'm familiar with the players involved. And also I think they, it's important for NHL fans to, to become familiar with them because I think they're going to become household names and players they need to be aware of in their NHL fanhood in the years to come. So I'm kind of curious to... To, to hear about the uh, the lowdown and the inside scoop from you here as our uh, as our PDO cast uh, college guy. Yeah, I, I think it's um, it it kind of depends on how you look at it. Like I think Gabe Perot, the the Rangers pick, is maybe the guy who is creating the most uh, um, for for that for that life. For those who don't know. Uh, they have they have Will Smith, Ryan Leonard, and Gabe Perot, all of whom were were first round picks uh, in this most recent draft. Uh, they all played together the last two years at the U.S. Uh, under eighteen level, and you know the the coach. I, I talked to their coach earlier this season, and I, you know I was like, oh, obviously those guys seem to really know a lot about you know where they all are, and he's like, yeah, they've just played so many hours together in practice and. Like they, it, it, he didn't say this, but it is kind of like the Sedine thing of like, well, I just know where they're going to be. I, it's that simple, you know, um, it, it, it's just such a natural thing for them. It's to me, it's like that it, it's not fair that they're all going to be on different teams in the, in the NHL. You know what I mean? Like someone should, the sharks or somebody should figure out a trade that, that just brings all three of them to the NHL together because they're so fun to watch. Um, I, I think uh, uh, Leonard and Smith are more the the trigger guys, and Perot's the guy who kind of, you know, the straw that stirs the drink kind of a situation with them. Um, but they're all just, they're all so good and um, and dangerous, you know, in a way that y- you just don't see from from a from a freshman. You don't see freshman lines in general in college hockey because, you know. There are guys who are like 23, 24, 25 years old. I think there's a guy there that's going to be 27 uh, by the end of the college hockey season. This that year. rocks. That rocks. So, hey, hey, milk it as long as you can, bud. I, I totally agree. And it's, but you know, there's a lot of rule, like stuff around COVID that makes it so that these guys can just stay till they're 26, 27 years old with greater frequency. Um, uh, Gus Nyquist was a guy who was famously 26 his last year of college hockey. Um, but you know, the examples of that are few and far between, but anyway, um, you just don't put 18 and 19 year olds, three of them together for that reason, right? Like they're just going to get physically pushed around and, and that kind of thing, but has not happened with them. I'm going to just say won't happen with them. You know, if they're, if they're doing, if they're hitting the ground running like this, where they're all North of a point of game, um, the, the sky's the limit on these guys, and this is one of the best teams in the country. Mm. Well, Perot's the interesting one to me because Smith and Leonard are both top 10 picks, right? And I think their right. skill sets are, are they're different, but they're also very projectable from like a pace and motor perspective at the NHL level. Yep. Now, like Perot fell to 23rd to the Rangers, and I think at that point it was a smart upside grab for them just based on his like production profile. And, sure. looking, and once again, I think he's leading the team in scoring I, like they're all very close because they play so much together but I, I think he does have the most raw points out of any of them yes he does he has uh, 23 and 16 games yeah and so I mean obviously the skill is is just through the roof I guess with a player like that though the question of like when the game speeds up right like are you going to be able to still make those plays and and we've seen over the years that um you know there certainly are like highly skilled players 
who can't get there and can't at least get their the, get their pace that they play at to a functional enough level to let the skill shine through the NHL. But we've also seen a lot of examples of players who have either figured out tricks or they're just like their hockey sense is so smart that they can compensate for it. You obviously get better uh, coaching and better like development in terms of like your training and everything to actually potentially get the most out of like untapped skating potential that you do have. I, I, where where right. do you land on on Pearl in terms of like seeing this project, seeing this production, and then sort of trying to project it to what it could look like years down the road at the NHL level, and if it'll actually play, not necessarily at this degree where he's going to be like just smashing scoring records, but good enough to be like, all right, at twenty third, that was a really smart pick. I think, I think what I would say is Smith and Leonard are both two guys where it's like they can create something out of nothing and it's not the game like this is going to sound like I'm, I'm knocking Perot I'm not uh, um like I said he's more of the like guy who who helps make helps make things happen whereas Smith and Leonard because they're those they're the whatever top six or whatever picks um they're more like they can make it look like oh I have nothing here and the puck's in the back of the net where Perot is more of the Again, like the the guy, the game kind of flows through, but maybe not the guy who um, is is the finisher on that line. And so, it's always tough to tell in college hockey, major, junior, whatever you want to say. Of like, I think they wouldn't be doing quite as well without Perot, obviously. But I also think Perot. If you put him on his own line with whoever, Andre Gasso is a perfectly good college hockey guy who doesn't really have the highest ceiling in the world for me. Um, if you put him with Gasso, uh, you know, that that's a, I think, I think you would just see the production decrease. And so, you know, the Rangers in theory have guys they could put him with two, three years down the line where they could they can make some offense happen, but maybe not at the level that we're we're seeing right now. If that makes sense. Mm. All right. Well, I'm interested to follow along and see how that uh, how that turns out. Okay. All right. Let's take our break here, and then when we come sure. back, we'll uh, we'll pick things back up. We'll keep taking the listener questions and uh, and having some fun with them. You are listening to the Hockeypedia Cast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, we're back here on the Hockey PDO cast with Ryan Lambert closing the week with our listener mailbag. Uh, Ryan, before we went to break, we had a, a college question, and I, I've got one more here uh, before we switch back to the NHL. But while I have you, you know, you're one of the few guests I have that actually knows what they're talking about and watches these games and, and has the uh, has the boots on the ground reporting, right? Is going to these rigs, checking these guys out. So Dave, Dave asks, who are a couple late round NHL drafted prospects who are currently playing in the NCAA? from the last few drafts that have surprised you so far this season. Is there anyone that people should be aware of where it's not a top prospect and it could be from any of the last couple drafts where you're like, oh, this could be uh this could be someone to watch for whenever whenever they're ready to make the jump or whenever their eligibility expires. Yeah, I mean the the one that that uh, springs to mind most readily, I guess, is uh, Massimo Rizzo, who's a, a junior at Denver. Um he is. Let me look this up real quick. Here is a, a seventh round pick of the uh, Carolina. Well, he was he was part of the uh, the on again off again Tony D'Angelo trade, wasn't he? Or that I might someone else. Be, may, I don't remember now. Yeah, but um, he had. You got it, man. Uh, he was close to a point of game as a freshman. Blue past point of game as a sophomore. And right now he leads the nation in scoring with 28 points in 16 games. Um, he's ju- he's just really, really good. Um, almost every game this season has been a multi-point game for him. Um, he has one, two, three, four, five games where he hasn't had more than one point out of 16 so far. Um, he's just... 
and and he plays for a program where like you're gonna be really smart to be on the top line like you're gonna have a very high hockey iq to be on the top line there and um he he's just he's really really good i don't i don't know um the thing is like he plays with this guy jack divine who is also a seventh pick and all but like I, I, I think personally, I think Rizzo is the guy driving that a little bit. Not that Divine isn't really, really good at this level. He is. Um, but uh, I'm more, I guess I'm more of a Rizzo head than a Divine head um, when it comes to this kind of thing. And uh, yeah, other than that, I'm trying to think. Like, those are just the two most obvious guys because they're uh, killing college hockey this year. Um. Other than that, yeah, like, it's tough because kind of late-round picks have been really pulled out of college hockey in the last few years in a way that isn't, um, you're getting a lot more undrafted guys where it's like, whoa, where did this guy come from, if that makes sense? Um, So, yeah, I don't know, like... There are obviously guys who are having really nice seasons, um, but nobody where it's like, oh, I I straight up did not see this coming from, you know, X, Y, or Z. Like, it just, um, it's becoming a, a weird mix in college hockey, I would say, of, like, really highly touted young players um, and, and, like, older players who are undrafted but having really good seasons and then not not as many as you're used to in that in-between area like you know first two or three rounds is where most of the best players in college hockey are coming from now in in a way that just wasn't the case even five six years ago Mm. well to put a bow on the uh on the massimo rizzo conversation here so i did remember Mm -hmm. it correctly i didn't have all the details correct because this happened like after free agency had passed and i think a lot of us were on vacation and not following this as closely. But remember, the uh, the Flyers were going to trade Tony D'Angelo back to the Hurricanes. Then the league told them they weren't allowed to do so because of the time frame. Okay, sure. So then they wound up just releasing him, and he signed with the Hurricanes instead of the trade. But then a couple weeks later, the two teams made a trade involving David Kasha going for like a fifth-round pick and... That's Rizzo right. To the yeah, Flyers. Rizzo went to the Flyers. That's right. And and those transactions definitely were not related in any way. And I'm sure that the two teams, of course, um, it was all above board, and and none of this had anything to do with each other. The fact <laughs> that Asimov Rizzo was going to get traded to the Flyers, and then they wound up completing it in two separate transactions, anyways. But yes, he is with the uh, with the Philadelphia Flyers organization now. Okay. Um, that'll do. That'll be it for uh, for college corner here. We'll try to every time we have you on try to do at least a couple minutes to uh because i know a lot of us do man do, do care about this stuff okay back to the nhl questions so we got a question here about i mean i have a lot of questions about the penguins and the the amount of leash that mike sullivan has and what they do here as they keep taking hit after hit i thought the last game in particular that we saw them play i mean the losing the back-to-back games to the flyers was tough but then the performance in tampa bay was particularly ugly i thought um i know you wrote about mike sullivan and and the power play's got a lot of conversation so this specific question asks is pittsburgh's power play an anomaly for not scoring in their past 33 opportunities are the goalies making great saves or the penguins just not get quality shots looks so where are we at with this because we spoke about the capitals these two teams are always somehow uh linked during this in the same crosby of eskin era yes uh both just catastrophically bad power plays the penguins at the start of the year you would look and all right by expected goals by shots generated chances everything they should be better they're not getting the goals in the power play just stick with the process now you watch it and i think that conversation has entirely changed where are you at with this in terms of what our expectations should be what the fix is what's wrong because clearly for the players involved even if they're at a different stage of their career it's just inexcusable for them to have like zero power play goals in the past 12 games or, or however long they're going through this route right now. Yeah. Um, so two, two fun stats about this that I pulled up in the last now 12 games, uh, the 
the Penguins' power play has been outscored by the Penguins' goalie. That's bad. And the, the other one, one that's is cool if you're Tristan Jerry. That's that's pretty cool. <laughs> sure it is. Yeah. The the joke we said on Puck Soup this week was like they got to put him on the top unit. This guy's a, a weapon out there, you know. Um, but the other stat is that uh, over the past fifteen games, they have been outscored on their power play two to one. Yeah, it's tough. And, uh, and sorry, three to one, three to one. Yeah, I I don't totally understand how Todd Reardon still has that job. Um, they don't seem to have any real solutions. Right, I think they tried. They're all, like, oh, all right. We're just gonna put Alex Nylander on there instead. Maybe mix that up. It's like, yeah, it's probably not gonna fix things. Um, you know, you watch it. I and, think it yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and I'm, I'm. Listen, I'm not the power play coach here, but uh, from from my couch, I don't think that's gonna fix it. Uh, I just like it's it's very. They like struggle to get into the zone. Then when they get there, it's like five it, guys were kind of just hanging out on the outside. They pass the puck around, and then force like a. Uh, a one-timer from a bad angle by either Malkin or Carlson. And then they're like, well, try it. We'll, we'll, we'll get after it next time. We'll, uh, maybe things will be different. And it's just like the same thing over and over again. So I'm well past the point of looking at any underlying number or anything and being like, oh, we should expect this to change because this is clearly just gone so similar. They're, they're not going to shoot 0% for much longer, right? They're... I, w- I will I will hit them with the with the underlying numbers in this stretch where their their power play just stinks right oh uh, for thirty three like you said they are generating seven expected goals per hour which is a low number obviously on the power play mm-hmm. um, it is in fact twenty seventh in the league over uh, the last whatever twelve games um. So they're not going to shoot 0% forever, but even if they were shoot, you know, if they had two power play goals in this, you'd you'd still be like, well, this sucks, man. This is bad, you know? And it's, it's, I I think, you know, I don't want, I don't want to be too, uh, you know, watch the games here with anything in my life, but it, it is just a thing of, uh, there's only one puck out there, and all these guys are used to having it on their stick when the when it's power play time. And you 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 just see this sometimes where it's like, oh no, we put like nine stars on our power play somehow, and uh, nothing works. It happens. It happens on on a couple of different levels, and you can't, I think, just expect at this point that those guys are just going to break through, figure it out all of a sudden. Like you do have to shock the system. I don't think Alex Nylander is the, is the answer there, but you, you gotta, you gotta take someone off that top power play unit and just go, look, you know, you can see what the problem is here. I know who you are, who you are. You're a future hall of fame or whatever, but something has to change. We're trying something. If it works great, if it doesn't work, we'll try something else. But, like you say, the idea of, and of course, Alex Nylander is the answer here. Like, that's just a psychotic decision to me. Yeah. I think the frustrating part for me, though, beyond just the fact that, like, it's cool players and seeing them struggle so much offensively sucks as as yeah. a fan of the sport, is that it's also just encouraging the laziest, most unfounded takes about this team as well. You've already seen you it. can't win with like, a guy like Eric Carlson. Oh. You just can't do it. Oh, I watched Carlson and Burns in San Jose. Well, why did you expect that Carlson and Latang would would work together now? It's like, what are you talking about? Like, that, well, they're not... different players. That's that's one thing. Well, but also like they're far from the problem. In the few instances they have shared the ice together, the Penguins have been perfectly fine. Uh, it's just like the issues just extend so far beyond this. I don't think acquiring Eric Carlson, like what for what they paid and what the other options were, it was clearly a good decision. Right, like this isn't like this prevented oh. them from having some other great players. Like they they basically turned spare parts they had no use for. And and, my, and as you mentioned, one of those was Michael Granlund, who's been like leading the league in scoring recently. Um, so that obviously stings a little bit. But just based on what they got from them last year, I think it was still a net positive. And so 
I think they, they really need to change something and it's frustrating. I'm not expecting unless they change it fundamentally that it will get better. Like they're not going to shoot 0% as you said, but like something is, is broken in the, in the underlying process in terms of what they're trying totally. to accomplish. So, uh, there is that. Okay. Um, here's a question for you. Mike Honcho asks, should the NHL adopt the in-season tournament like the NBA? And if not, how do they make the regular season matter more? Well, it, it's not a question of should at this point. I, I think it's it's like destined to happen. It, it, all the all the you know rating success and the way the play the players and teams are caring about being in this in season tournament. The NHL two years from now there will be an NHL in season tournament, especially because they're going to be like, oh, we it's crazy. We can't go to the Olympics again. Ah, what are you going to do? You know, mm-hmm. um. So they'll give you the in-season tournament. It's going to happen. And I, I, I'm literally, again, I, like I was writing the three stars for the week before uh, before we we went on here. This time of year isn't the problem. Everybody's relatively healthy and for the most part. And a lot of teams are like still playing. Like the problem is February. That's when the problem in the regular season starts where a bunch of teams are effectively out of the playoffs, even if they're not mathematically eliminated. And a bunch of teams are trying to uh, protect what they have by like coasting a little bit load management. It's obviously less of a thing in the NHL, but it starts to come into the play into play later in the season. Whereas in the NBA, they do it all year long. Um, And so like to say, Oh, here's how they should make the, the regular season more meaningful. It doesn't matter. Like I can say, oh, they should make uh, a win worth three points, or they should make overtime uh, ten minutes of three on three and, and no shootout. They should bring back whatever. They're not going to do any of that. They're just ju- they're just straight up not going to do it. They like how the regular season works because the the loser point creates the illusion that all these teams are still in it. We can sell tickets that way. Blah blah blah. The way they can make games more meaningful is for, or feel more meaningful is for uh, all the goalies to still be bad, right? Like, look how many, like, teams scored five and six goals in a game more than once this week. It's it's not zero teams. It's not even close, actually. So, like, the hockey is really good right now, or at least really entertaining, and... I guess that is the differentiating factor, right? Like in the NHL, if if a team scores a lot of goals, one of the coaches is like, "We played badly," right? If not both of them, oh, uh, we can't we can't keep expecting to win like that. Even if you win like that, your coach is going to be like, "That actually sucked. We didn't like that." Um, and so, like, if you want to make games engaging, you need. Goals and, uh, you know, you don't want 11 goals in a game probably as a general rule, but like you want a team getting to four five, six goals a night in most games and then it'll feel meaningful. But like there's again, there's just no if about this end season tournament thing. It's going to happen. I don't know how else to put it to you. Yeah, I'm with you. It's certainly entertaining. And I think the hockey is as good as it's ever been. Mikey asks, why is every team so mid this year? And we kind of hinted at this in the Kings conversation and it does feel like everyone has kind of converged to the middle. Now it's like only the first 25 games of the season. I'm sure the tiers will become more um, kind of distinguished, I guess in the second half of the year, right? Where it's going to become a bit more clear who the really, really good teams are and who's really bad and their motivations are going to skew in opposite directions. But right now it does feel like, and I'm sure the league is loving this because they'll be happy to tell you all about the parody and all about, how anyone can win on any given night and that's what make this league so special and I often push back against that but in this case it does kind of feel like it's just everyone is kind of lumped together for the most part now you know you mentioned that because of the success of the NBA it's like it's it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when and, and probably in a couple of years I'd love to to be there with you but if we know anything about Gary Bettman it's that he will gladly cut off his nose to spite his face and so this idea that like, you know, you've heard him say already, oh, we love our regular season. All we care about is this uh, this international best on best that they're trying to create in a couple of years, which is only going to have four teams involved. And I... Ridiculous. 
It's, yeah. I know it's uh, like the, the big question or I guess the big pushback of the NBA in-season tournament was, will the players care and why, do, why should they care? Right. Because for them with how much money they're making, whatever the prize was would be so menial, right? It's like, all right, this isn't really going to actually motivate anyone. And then you watch it and, and they care so much. And and that might not continue every year down the road. It might just be the novelty of this first year, but it's almost sure. impossible to argue with the fact that it's been a smash success. And, and the thing that I enjoyed in particular during the qualification rounds or the group stages or whatever was like the importance of uh, point differential and then yes, I was at, uh, yeah. Absolutely. At the end of the blowouts, watching teams like aggressively try to run up the score and stuff. I mean, obviously, you can envision how in hockey that is going to just drive purists absolutely crazy, right? With teams having their top unit power play out in like a six-one game in the final minute, try to score a seventh goal. But I am all yep. for that, and I love the idea of that. And so, absolutely, if we get into those game environments and we create an incentive for teams to try as hard as they can through the full sixty, that's good. Let's go. And that's it. Yes. That's, that's no, I agree. Off. So, um, okay. Let's do one final question here. Mike asks, what's the worst place to finish the season as a non-contending team? Second wild card to just get swept. Ninth in the conference, fifth in division. I mean, I guess the worst place is, is missing the playoffs, but not getting a top pick, right? Well... I was thinking about this and I think about this kind of thing a lot. I think the absolute worst place to finish, like if you're, if you're looking at league wide is like 21st, you're not close to the playoffs. You have a pretty low chance to get a a top three pick. And you know, it just does. I, I, this is the example I use all the time. It creates like the early to mid two thousands, or maybe maybe just like early 2000s Calgary Flames where it's like yeah we're picking like 8th every year. Right. You don't you don't want to be picking 8th every year because it just means you have to really knock it out of the park with getting a, a bounce and a guy drops to you. But also like you know you're like 9 points out of the playoffs. So I I, th- I think if you're finishing like 21st in the league, you are screwed. Yeah, I guess it also depends on where you are in terms of like what your recent history has been. Sure, right? Like if if you have a young team with already that already has drafted those core players, right? Yeah, like let's say New Jersey of a couple of years ago, or you in Buffalo right now. I think obviously just because they haven't made the playoffs in, in such a comically long stretch of time, anything short of that is going to be viewed as a disappointment. But in this sense, it's like you already have those players that are going to move the needle, getting them competitive reps and and actually playing like fun, important hockey in April, even if you don't make the playoffs. All right, whatever. The difference between the sixth overall pick and the 11th is not that big of a deal in that case. If you're like right. at the start of that rebuild and you're like, man... We don't really have like game-changing talent in our pipeline coming in the next couple of years. The only way to really get that statably is through those top five picks. And so if you're finishing 21st and then not getting those as well, that's a tough pill to swallow. So I think it kind of depends in that regard. I guess no one really cares about lining their uh, their owner's pockets, but like being the second wildcard team and getting swept, I'm sure a lot of teams would, would gladly take that because it means two games of yeah, that's what I gate. Um, so yep, yeah, it's uh, it it's an interesting question though because uh, I think depending on on which team or owner you ask, you might get some different answers. So I I recently said I got a little bit of flack for this, uh, but recently on on Puck Soup, I said like the the Blue Jackets winning that round against Tampa by like keeping all their players or whatever. That was the Tampa one and not the Toronto one, right? Uh, the Toronto, kept, like, the uh, Toronto one was in the bubble. Uh, the Tampa that's one right. was, yeah. was when they swept them when Tampa was historically good in the regular season. Yeah. Right. And, and But like, you know, the thing of like, oh, let's keep all our players instead of trading them, even though we know they're leaving the summer and blah, blah, blah. I, th- I think that's the worst thing to ever happen to that franchise. I mean, there's been some pretty bad things that happen to that franchise. I understand, but I'm just saying the way it changed their mindset 
like, look, we're just a Mike Babcock away from from getting X, Y, and Z done. And may, you know, may, maybe if we get Mike Babcock, we can be the uh, the seven seed in the East or whatever. It's like, what what are you talking about, man? That was never going to happen. Just right. straight up, it wasn't. So, like, it just it just what I'm saying is it changed their mindset as an organization so much. Like, we just need all these things. If we only get three things to bounce exactly our way all season long. We can be the team that accidentally sweeps a, the one of the best teams in the history of the regular season. Okay, man, cool. Yeah, I mean, from like a cold, calculated, just pure business perspective, the fallout of that is is tough. I guess, like, if if you're a fan of the organization, though, or you're part of it in any way, just considering they like literally never had a taste of it at all, right? Like, what was like the previous? Example was making the playoffs and getting swept by the Red Wings many years before that. Right. So just yep. not like getting into the playoffs, winning a playoff round like that, like that was pretty cool. So ah uh, no, I mean you gotta look. You gotta look at the long tail on. No, I know, I know, I know. And I that's how that's how being a fan like, is about, though, right? Well, maybe maybe we gotta think about what being a fan's all. Oh uh, wow, well, that's uh, that's a whole separate show that we could probably do. Um. Okay, <laughs> yeah. let's uh, let's get out of here, RL. This was a blast. Uh, I'm glad we got to do. It was a it was a fun array of questions. I feel like we covered a lot of ground there. I'll let you Great. plug some stuff on the way out. Let the listeners know uh, whatever you want them to check out. Uh, yeah, evrinkside.com. Uh, you can read me. You can read Dimitri. You can read Jay Fresh. You can read uh, all of all of our brilliant scouts. Who you know? I, I, I'm people asking me about like, oh, what do you think of the the this guy's seal? I don't know any of that stuff. I know how good they are in college hockey. You know, I don't know what that means for how they're going to be in the NHL. Usually, I, I can I can I whatever. Um, and especially with World Junior coming up, head over there. You're going to have a, a lot of a lot of uh, content to sift through. And then uh, Patreon.com/slash Puck Soup, all the Puck Soup uh, podcast stuff. Wherever you find your podcasts, et cetera, et cetera, you, you know how to listen to podcasts at this point. I think so. Yeah, well, that's if you're it. listening to this, you probably you probably are familiar with mm-hmm. the concept. Uh, all right, all this was a blast. We'll have you on again soon. Keep up the great work. Uh, thank you to the listeners for listening to us. My quick plugs are, like we said at the top, go join the Discord. The invite link is in the show notes, and I'll participate in future mailbags. Go on the YouTube channel, uh, Hockey PDOcast. Did a uh, Alexander Barkov deep dive there this week we're going to do eichel next week so lots of fun stuff going up there in the future and that's going to be it we'll be back next week so everyone hopefully you have a great weekend and uh and we'll check back in on monday thank you for listening to the hockey pdo cast streaming on the sports radio network